Hi, I'm Hilary Hess. You're listening to A Helping of Happiness. This podcast is for busy moms like me who have a full life and are constantly finding themselves in a balancing act. I definitely do not have it all together, but I hope that sharing the things that I have learned as a mom of seven kids and the things that you will hear from the guests that I have on will be things that will really inspire and help us all to be a little bit better and have give us all some fresh ideas and have a little bit of fun while we're at it. Welcome to Helping of Happiness episode number 89. I am so, so honored to have our guest today. We have Matt Osborne from the Operation Underground Railroad with us today. They rescue people from human trafficking And I can't wait for you to hear all of his amazing stories that he has and everything that they're doing to help people get out of these horrible situations. Um, They work on not only rescue, but they also work on recovery for these people after that they have been through these horrible experiences in their life. I love the hope that he gives us in this chat as well. It's not just all dark, but he has a lot of light to talk with us about too. If you're looking for an amazing charity to donate to for this Christmas season, go donate to these guys. They are the real deal. Your dollars are couldn't be spent in a more amazing way of rescuing these people. So without any further ado, I can't wait for you to meet Matt. Hey, Matt, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, Hillary. Thanks so much for having me on. I am so pumped to have you here. So just for our audience, I first met you when you came into the self-defense class for a youth group that I help out with. And I just had to grab you and bring you on here because you just had so many great things to say and just charismatic and fun and but so many important things that I really wanted to go over. It gets a little serious, but I think just so good for us to all learn about. So before we get into all the depth of what you do, will you tell us a little bit about you and your family and kind of what you do and how you got to be part of it and all that? So I'm the proud husband of my wife, Carrie, for almost 22 years. I have two daughters who are teenagers. So that's probably why I have the gray hair and wrinkles that I do (laughs) at the age of 47. But uh, Annie and Grace, I have a senior and a freshman in high school, and they really give me the drive to fight human trafficking and child exploitation that I know we'll talk about for a while. Um, I was blessed to serve our country for 12 years with the Central Intelligence Agency and the U.S. Department of State, uh, with the CIA, and then later as a diplomat, I Worked issues of terrorism, defending the homeland, uh, um, the war in Iraq, chemical and biological weapons proliferation in East and Southeast Asia, and then served overseas in Madrid, Spain, Caracas, Venezuela, and Mexico City, Mexico. And it was while I was overseas that I was introduced to this problem of human trafficking, trafficking in persons, uh, sexual exploitation of minors and adults, which again is a is a heavy topic, but. I was fortunate after 12 years to join an organization called Operation Underground Railroad. And we're a group of men and women, former CIA, former Department of Homeland Security, former law enforcement, former military, who joined together to 
fight this social scourge, fight this crime in the U.S. and around the world. And I know we'll talk a lot about it, but even though it is a dark subject, your listeners can know that there is hope, there is light out there. And a group like ours, Operation Underground Railroad, brings that light along with many other great groups in this field. So is this something that you're doing full time or do you have so this just all, all the time what you're doing then, right? This is, right. And if you would have told me a number of years ago that I wouldn't have stayed at the CIA, I would not have believed you. I love the job. I work for Republicans and Democrats. I work for President George W. Bush, President Barack Obama. It's not was not a political thing for me and did so many amazing things overseas, using languages, representing our country that I'm so proud to, to be an American. But just something like this, Hillary, I know with your kids as well and your listeners with kids, to try to save a child, you know, using the same skills that I use with the CIA, using the same diplomatic skills with the Department of State uh, to be able to save children. And so, yes, this is my full-time job. I ran our undercover operations for a number of years. And now as we have documentaries, movies, other things coming out, speaking events, media events that I'm able to do, uh, I work more uh, on our special projects. I work more on our efforts in Haiti and work more on this idea of education, prevention, awareness, and getting the word out, which includes the self-defense class, as you mentioned earlier, that I was fortunate enough to join with you a few weeks back. So tell me... Tell the, my audience a little bit more, and me, I guess, just what is all encompassing in the under, Operation Underground Railroad? What, what are all the different things that you guys do? Because you cover a lot of, it's pretty broad spectrum of things that you guys are doing. It's a huge organization, and not in terms of people, but in terms of reach. We have a very small team. But when you look at this problem and what we do, it's important to kind of set the scene for your listeners. Some, I'm sure, uh, know a lot about it. Others maybe have seen the movie Taken with Liam Neeson. And I'm, I'm sorry to burst their bubble, but I'm nowhere near as cool as Liam Neeson. So sorry about that. That, guy, that, guy's, the man. that guy's the man. He is cool. But um, when you look at the problem of human trafficking, and I don't know what you think about slavery or your listeners, when I first, when I think of slavery or used to, I thought of the transatlantic slave trade, the darkest chapter in our human history. But when you look at the best numbers that we've seen from the early 1500s, when those first slave ships left the African continent, headed to the New World, up until the late 1880s, the Emancipation Proclamation, President Lincoln, the Civil War, that whole number during that 400-year period, 12.1 million people, which is a terrible number. Even one is too many. The populations were smaller. But conservative estimates suggest today, 2019, almost 2020, there are a minimum of 20 million, maybe 25 million, upwards of 40 million men, women, and children in slavery today. The vast majority of that group is in forced labor, sweatshop labor, agriculture industry. You know, we always say, make sure you know where your clothes are coming from, your products, food, um, you know, a lot overseas, but also in the US. But there is a large subset of those exploited men, women, and children in commercial sexual exploitation. Think forced prostitution. Think online abuse. Think you know illegal brothels. And again, I know, and I apologize, this is a dark to topic, but you see this number, and UNICEF estimates that there are between two to five million children, those under the age of 18. So Operation Underground Railroad was started back in 2013, 2014, so about six years ago by a gentleman by the name of Tim Ballard. Now, some of your listeners might know Tim Ballard. He's an author, a speaker. He was a former special agent with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and really helped 
start their child crimes unit to rescue these children who were being exploited online and by Americans because Americans, unfortunately, are the number one producer and consumer of child pornography. So that creates a lot of this addiction. They're the number one producer of this terrible term called a child sex tourist, someone who goes overseas mostly, but also in the U.S. to abuse children. So Tim Ballard saw that there were some great groups on the front end of this problem fighting human trafficking, prevention, education, awareness, and also some great groups on the back end having homes, orphanages, safe houses, rehabilitation centers, getting these children back to the lives that God had intended for them. But there were just a, a dearth of groups, just a few groups who would physically go in to the darkest corners of the world, work with law enforcement, train them, and then actually do the undercover operations using the American face, the American male face. Because this was being perpetrated primarily by American males, we then could use the face of the American male for, for good. So to your question, we are working across the spectrum of, again, prevention, education, awareness, training, not just giving a fish, but teaching someone how to fish, to doing the actual undercover operations, in some cases ourselves, to then working with these children, girls mostly, but also boys, on their way to freedom and to rehabilitation. So I know that's a long answer, but again, we're involved in all of these phases, and we also partner with amazing groups out there because we realize no one group can do this themselves. It has to be a collaborative effort. Yeah, it's just too much to, too much to span. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, do you mind telling us a couple of your experiences with rescues or some other things that you've done? I mean, I think we'd all love a little, you know, a little picture into what this is really like. I mean, yeah. kind of how you felt. I mean, it's got to be so intensely emotional, at least I would think, going into those kinds of situations and then trying to recover afterwards. And I don't know. So give us the whole skinny on that. Extremely emotional, especially when you're sitting across the table from a man mostly, but also women. Women are involved in trafficking other humans, but sitting across the table from a guy who is selling another human being who's talking about this human being as if he were negotiating a, the price of a sack of potatoes, a bag of limes, uh, it weighs this much, it does this much, it's this good, this is what the cost is. And so it's really disgusting, especially when you look at the kids, you look at the victims, and you see in their eyes, the eyes of my daughters, the eyes of the guys who are there, their sons, their daughters. And so it's really interesting. I don't know how it was in your family, your relationship, or those of your listeners, but my wife is much smarter than me, much more in tune, much more with it, right, than this guy. And she said something very profound when I was going to leave the U.S. government to join an operation underground railroad. She said, look, you think you're so cool. You're the CIA guy. You've been all over the world. You've done these things, but this will be the hardest thing you've ever done. I said, honey, no, they trained me to, you know, be a different person and persona and act and go to a special part in my head. And the first operation I ever did, Hillary, in 2014, in Colombia with Tim Ballard, sitting across the table from a guy who brought a girl over, 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl, and he looked at us and he said in Spanish, and I'll just be very honest what he said, he said, this girl has zero kilometers on her. She's a virgin. She's pure. And I'm reserving her for a special gift for you guys, your boss. That was a story that we were bringing a boss in in a couple weeks for a party. And at that moment, I wanted to throw up. I wanted to come across the table and throttle his neck. And then I, but I also had to stay in character and say, 
yes, that's exactly what the boss will want. And in that moment, I realized my wife was correct. She is correct. This is the hardest thing. And so, you know, we're people of faith. We have a lot of different faiths represented in our organization. We actually have a couple of people who don't really believe in God. They're like, I don't know about a deity, but I know there's right and wrong and I want to join you. But we're primarily uh, members of faith and we pray all the time and we ask for guidance. And even in these most dark moments, these darkest moments, there's hope, there's light because we're sitting across the table from this guy. And it helps us keep it together, keep in character, because we say to ourselves, if you can just hold it together, stick to the script, stick to the operational plan, not only will these girls be saved, and that girl will still have zero kilometers on her, and she will still be preserved for a time, you know, when hopefully she is in, in, you know, with her husband, she won't be abused by us, and this guy will be in jail. And so that's something that we're, where we're able to do. And so that's one of the things that sticks out to me is, again, how difficult it is to be with this, this I'm sorry, this scum, these human mm -hmm. traffickers. But then on the other hand, to realize that, you know, God really is aware of each and every one of us. And bad things happen to good people. And I can't tell you why I've been blessed with my life. And then a child is forced in, into slavery. Hopefully we'll find that out someday. But I realize that God is aware of these children, and we pray for guidance. And so we've gone into some of the darkest corners of the world. Think about these countries, Haiti, Uganda, Thailand, Nepal, uh, Peru, the Dominican Republic. And we have rescued children who no one was looking for. And they would come out afterwards and they would say, I thought no one was looking for me, and yet we were. And so that's what gives us the drive to continue. You know, you can't save all of them, but you can save one, and you can save five and ten. And in our six, seven years of existence, we've helped over 3,000 victims of human trafficking, mostly minors, mostly, you know, young adults, partnering with other groups. And at the end of the day, that's what's worth it, when we can help these victims become survivors and these survivors become thrivers. So when you go on the scene, can you just feel immediately the darkness in that situation? I mean, I can't even imagine, I just feel like it would just be so, just being in the presence of all of this would just be so heavy. Is that how it was for you? It really is, and we know what we're up against, and we constantly train, we talk to our operators about, this situation. And again, I'll just be very open. If So we play the role. We don't play the role of the pedophiles ourselves. We don't play the role of the guys who are interested in the young girls. Because quite frankly, if we did, a trafficker would say, okay, cool. Here's a 12-year-old girl. Behind that door is a bed. Why don't you go try out the goods, right? Mm -hmm. It's that disgusting. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. We say, no, 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 that's not, we're not in that. But our boss, right? We work mm -hmm. for someone. And remember what I said, said earlier, Americans, number one producer and consumer of child pornography, number one producer of a child sex tourist, a man mostly. Um, the average profile is 45 to 47 years old, white man, American, makes 150 to 170,000 a year, master's degree. This is all of us, right? So many of us. And so that's why these traffickers think nothing of a group of Americans negotiating for a boss man who's coming. And so we talk to though our operators and myself and others say, look, you're going to be there. You're going to be away from home. You're going to have a stack of money. You're going to be with beautiful, vulnerable girls. And you're going to be playing the role of buying them. Even though you're not doing anything with them, then you're buying them for a later time. You always have to remember to stay in character, but only to a certain extent. Because you're going into the darkness. You're going to talk with these individuals. Sometimes we have to go into the bars themselves, where the girls are being held, 
And I'll be very often uh, honest, sometimes there's child pornography playing because that's how they use what they use to desensitize the girls. Sometimes there's alcohol and drugs around. And so we have to kind of walk that fine line between playing that we're interested, but not really partaking or those who do partake, you do it just a little bit. I mean, so it's definitely a, a drama. But as I mentioned earlier, there truly is the light because we're praying ahead of time. We're praying you know, in groups. We're praying silently in our hearts when we're there. And we have aborted missions before when it just didn't feel like it was right. There was just something that wasn't right. And even though it killed us to have to leave without saving those kids, we found out later, oh, that's why, because that cop was actually in with the network. There was corruption. You know, you were partnering with that cop in whatever country. He was actually working with the traffickers. And so that was then we realized why we were doing that for, for our protection. And so what we always say is you can focus on the darkness or you can focus on the light. And we focus on the light and we focus on the scientifically proven fact that light and darkness can't exist in the same place in the same time. So we go into the darkness, flip the light. We try to be the light ourselves. And that's one way that we deal with this difficult task. So do you work with law enforcement on all the things that you guys do? That's how you guys do kind of get your leads that way? So we absolutely do. And that's a huge thing about Operation Underground Railroad. And your listeners can go to OURrescue.org, OURrescue.org to learn more. And you'll see that we are not a vigilante group. We go in through the front door or we don't go in at all. And that means that we are always are working with the U.S. embassies overseas or in the United States with state, local, and federal officials. And we know what each country needs, or we go and we ask them. We talk to prosecutors. We talk to the chiefs of police. Sometimes we talk to the politicians themselves. And we say, we can provide assistance from Operation Underground Railroad anywhere along the spectrum from money, training, tools, technology, to, again, the American face, the undercover operator, to the aftercare support and restoration and rehabilitation, and everywhere in between. And so they tell us what they want us to do and how we can help. And so to your question, there are kind of two ways that law enforcement helps us find the right path. In a lot of cases in the different countries, in these different countries, they know who the traffickers are. They know what street they work on. They know where the kids are being exploited. But because they don't look like an American male, they can't infiltrate these networks, if that makes sense, right? They look like a Mexican FBI agent, a Colombian police officer, a Royal Thai police so we then can use our American faces. So they will say, hey, you need to meet this guy. This is where he is. And so we arrange to meet him. And then we start negotiating. And we don't carry weapons. Our weapons are undercover cameras, hidden microphones. So we record high-definition video and high-quality audio to give to prosecutors, to give to uh, the law enforcement officials so they can work the case either separately or with us, depending on what they want. So that's sort of the first path. The second path that happens a lot is a country will say, look, we're sure there's trafficking going on. We're sure there's exploitation going on in our country. But our president, our prime minister, our chief has told us, first and foremost, you work drug cartels, criminal organizations, kidnapping, uh, gun running, extortion, murders, auto theft, this whole list, and then trafficking. They don't have the time or resources. But they say, we'll give your group. You come in. We'll give you permission. We'll sign you up as confidential sources of information. We'll let you stay in our country for three days, four days, gather that information, gather that intelligence, find the trafficking networks, find the kids, turn the evidence over to us. We'll either work it ourselves or we'll work it with you. If you don't find anything, the country says, no skin off our nose, right? We haven't invested anything, but yet you're finding these cases because they will approach you. 
They'll come see the American face and they'll come up and say, hey, do you want everything from a jet ski ride, horseback ride, uh, drugs, uh, girls? I mean, this is how it always happens. So we provide that information. So uh, always with law enforcement and very flexible to, to work to support them depending on the specific needs of that country. So after you rescue these men, women, and children, what happens next? Are you guys involved in the rehab or do you push them onto a collaboration? What do you, what do you do that way? We're very focused on the aftercare because as our founder, Tim Ballard says, there's no rescue without the rehabilitation. What good would it do us to rescue a thousand girls and 990 of them go back into it? Yeah. Now, your listeners should know that it's a very difficult thing because imagine if you're an orphan or your own mother sold you into this or a trusted family member and you can't go home, what do you do there? And that happens in a lot of our cases. Our goal is always to get these kids back with their parents. And oftentimes we are able to. Maybe the parents had no idea or maybe they kind of knew but they weren't sure or maybe they were looking the other way. And so our law enforcement and aftercare partners conduct interviews with the girls and their families after the rescue to see whether the girl can go home. If the girl cannot go home, then we put them into vetted orphanages, aftercares, uh, centers, safe houses. We do not run our own. We made a decision a while ago. We weren't going to just lock ourselves to one place. But we go around the United States and around the world and partner with other aftercare homes, making sure that they have what they need to assist victims, both those we rescue and those that we do not. Then we follow up with them. When we were a smaller organization in just a few countries, we got there every few months. Now, I guess it's a blessing and a curse. We've been so blessed. We're so large. We only can get there maybe once a year, once every 18 months. But we're always checking in, seeing what they need. And then the greatest thing is as these minors are rescued and then they become adults, so they're 18 and over and they're able to legally tell their stories if they want to, they share with us stories. Then we then turn to a very big part of our organization, which is enlightening the public, which is talking about what is happening. And that's been some of the neatest things when these girls, as I mentioned earlier, go from victim to survivor to thriver. And through donations to Operation Underground Railroad, we are able to get these girls, help them do everything from, and again, this is just stereotype on the spectrum, have their own tortilla stand to become a doctor or a lawyer and everything in between. And that's probably the most rewarding part of this job. That is, that is so amazing. So tell us a little bit about the classes that you put on for the people here, because I know that, I mean, part of your job is prevention, which is the part that I've participated in so far. How, I mean, and I think also tell our audience a little bit I mean, this isn't just things that happen in foreign countries. People are sold into this here in America. So do you mind going into that just a little bit and then into your classes? I think there's a risk that we all would think, as you mentioned, oh, that's just in Thailand. Or if that's happening, it's just in the Dominican Republic, just in Mexico, not here. The FBI estimates that there are over 100,000 teens at risk every year of being pulled into trafficking. There is an untold number of, of, of young people who are in trafficking situations right now. Just in Dallas, Texas alone, it's estimated that every night there are 400 teens being exploited on the streets and online. So this is a huge problem. So one of the things we do, again, prevention and education, is we talk about keeping youth safe uh, from trafficking. Now, we're very quick to say, look, in the vast majority of cases, 
the child, the youth, listen to your parents, listen to your teachers, listen to your church leaders, you're going to be okay. Obviously, there are isolated incidents where there, that's a problem. And in the United States of America, the vast, the pool of trafficking victims comes mostly from kids from broken homes, runaways, those who are susceptible because they don't get the love that they uh, need at home. And so they're susceptible to a smooth talking trafficker or a groomer who might see them at the mall, the movie theater, the Walmart, the bus stop. Now, this also, though, happens in affluent areas. So everyone should realize that this is always danger. And so we always say, talk to your child. You will know your child better than anyone. So you will know what their maturity level is and what they can handle. Some kids need to be terrified, right? They need to have the pants scared off them. And so if that's the case, you show them a movie like Taken. You know, you show them an Operation Underground Railroad documentary. Others, you have to finesse it a little bit. Stranger danger, you know, your no-touch zone. If anyone violates that, tell. And then everywhere in between. And so what we talk about in these self-defense classes, and it's really a personal security awareness. And it's the same training that I had in the CIA to go to dangerous places like Iraq and Afghanistan, where I went, Venezuela and Mexico, that same training can keep all of us safe at the mall, at the movie theater, at the grocery store, when we're out and about. And the class is called Avoid, Evade, Counter. And you'll remember out of those three things, we focus mostly on avoid because you survive 100% of the situations you avoid. And so that's what we spend most of the class on, just talking about, you know, don't be what we say in code white. Code white is when you're oblivious, when you're on your cell phone when you shouldn't be, when you're not paying attention. You should be in code yellow, which is just a little bit of, of awareness. Think about when you're defensive driving. You remember we talked about it, and your listeners, think about when you're defensive driving. You're just kind of aware. You could stop at any time if someone runs out you, you know, in front of you. You think that uh, you know that a threat is possible. It's not probable, it's not likely, but it's possible. Then we talk about code orange. That's imagine if you're driving in a snowstorm, potholes, icy conditions, you're in code orange. Think about what your body's doing. That's when a threat is no longer possible. It's probable. Someone's invading your personal space. Someone's coming at you. And then, of course, code red if you have to fight. And then, as you remember, we actually did the counter, and that was fun at the end. You know, you had some of the uh, women and daughters. They were able to, to beat up on me. That was fun. Everyone loved punching me. And that was really fun. Into the and pad. I felt very underdressed because I was wearing my slippers. I was just kind of shuffling <laughs> in for the night, and we're doing these karate kicks. <laughs> I felt so silly. But then I realized I probably need to wear my tennis shoes out in public more often because if I got in this situation and I was trying to kick somebody with my slippers on, it's not going to do a whole lot of good. You know, and that's what we say too. We say, look, there's a very small chance something will happen to you, but you've got to be aware. And the reason we talk about the color schemes is if you are in yellow, when you're out and about, it's easy to go to orange and red if you do have to fight or flight. Otherwise, if you're in code white, no matter how much you think you can rise to the occasion, you won't fight, you won't flight, you'll freeze. So that's what we we're talking about just in terms of personal security. And then in terms of the human trafficking, we talked to the, the moms mostly there, as you'll remember. And we said, look, just talk to your child about this. If your child has social media and apps, check their friends. Make sure they know who their friends are. Nowadays, our youth are in these competitions with each other. Who can have the most friends? Oh, I have 500 friends online. I have 1,000 friends. 
Well, they're accepting all strangers a lot of times, and these groomers are out there. That's what they're called. They're grooming. They're looking for potential trafficking victims. They're looking in affluent areas. They're looking for uh, 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 girls and boys of all races, but they're looking for people. So be careful about the personal information your child gives out online, because even if they only say one little thing on Instagram, one thing on Facebook, one thing on Snapchat, traffickers can find all of these uh, uh, details, and they will know where your child's going to be likely, what type of, of things they like. And then finally, for those who uh, have gamers, you know, boys mostly, but also girls, you're gaming online, online gaming with strangers. I'm not going to say don't do it. I think there's a lot of fun. But what I do tell parents to tell kids, do not talk to a stranger about anything online not related to the game. You can say, hey, man, good shot, good points, you know, nice score, way to go. But if they ever say, hey, what school do you go to? Nope. Hey, do you play sports? Nope. Where do you, you just stop it right there because it could be innocent, but what if it's not? And so that's what we do in this personal security, just to give a healthy bit of awareness, not to freak you out, not to have you live your life in fear, not to have you stay in a fetal position your whole life because we're, we're supposed to have joy. We're supposed to go out and enjoy our lives, but we need to be safe and we need to always have that code yellow mindset when we're out and about. Yeah, I love that. I've, I've actually, I, I go running some mornings and so now I'm, looking around. I keep my headphones really low because I do like listening to my podcast or my, <laughs> my music, but you know, I still want to be able to hear things. And it was funny because one morning my husband drove up because he was, he needed, I needed to get home and go somewhere. Something had come up last minute and I'm like, there's a car and it's following me. I can hear you <laughs> coming up on me and I'm looking at, oh, 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 it's my husband. But if I hadn't gone to that class, I probably wouldn't have even thought anything of a car coming up. I don't know. I just thought, well, you know, maybe I'm getting more into code orange and code yellow than I should be, but for sure. But and you has, remember, yeah, yeah. it's no, helped me yeah. a lot to at least take a look around, you know, when I load my groceries, I'm kind of just doing some checks, you know, before I'm blocking the kids in and all that. But and it's great. To, I mean, again, just that little code yellow. And remember, we talk about how long can you defensive drive? You can go hours, right? I mean, somebody will say, what about a bathroom break or food? But you can drive for hours in that state, meaning you can live your life in code yellow and not be that tired. It's not going to be stressing you out. But if you don't have that little bit of awareness, you never would have known that car was coming up, whether it's your husband or whether it was someone else. And another thing you remember we talk about is pay attention to the, the signals your body's giving, whether it's the hair on the back of your head, whether that's a gut feeling, and whether you call that a hunch or the sixth sense or the Holy Ghost talking to you or whatever, pay attention to that because our bodies are keenly aware of danger and around us. And so if someone gives you the creeps, I don't care what he looks like, what race, what ethnicity, there's no stereotyping. If somebody gives you the creeps, they give you the creeps because they're criminals from all ethnicities. So it's nothing like that. But if someone gives you the creeps, don't you just say, you know what? It's probably just me. I'm probably being overly cautious and paranoid. No, pay attention to that. Get yourself to a safe spot because remember the worst thing that could happen is if you're wrong, the worst thing, and that was not a threat. Maybe the guy just thinks, well, that girl was kind of rude. That guy was kind of rude. And I'm okay with that. If it means that I successfully avoid hundred percent of potentially dangerous situations, I'm willing to take that. Yeah. I like that. I think that's really important. Okay, so do you have some specific ways that we can keep ourselves safe that you can tell without like showing us what to do? Because it's a lot, <laughs> this is a pretty visual thing, you know, when we're practicing For chopping sure. each other's elbows and, you know, running away, <laughs> doing all the different stuff. But I, I think there is definitely some things you could tell us just over the podcast. 
Yeah, and just to be aware, again, just to have your awareness out. Um, again, you have to be in this code white when you're at home because you have to rest and if your doors are locked, you have an alarm on or whatever makes you feel safe and you have to be able to sleep, you have to relax. And I tell the kids, kids, when you're at school, even though unfortunately there are school shootings, when you're at church, things like that, you know, but still you need to be paying attention to why you're there for and learning and, and have the messages and the teachings. But anytime you're going to school or church, every time you're going to a movie theater, the mall, driving, grocery, always have your antenna out. And you remember we talked about what is the worst device ever that's put us all in code white, and that's our cell phones. Mm -hmm. So be very careful about when you use your cell phones and when you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, it's a good time to do it. And then I always say play a game. Next time you're at the mall, movie theater, sit in the parking lot and just see how many oblivious people are walking with their cell phones in front of their face. You know, you'll never see those types oh, of things. I've been so guilty of that. And I've been trying to be so much more cognizant of that since we... Yeah, and I have too. It's a constant. You always have to, to, to practice. And that's another thing. And again, not to put anybody into paranoia, the, the CIA actually taught what they call functional paranoia means that you're paranoid, but you can still function. Um, just look around, kind of play the what if game. Okay, there's a guy who kind of makes me feel a little bit creepy at the grocery store. What if he comes towards me? What am I going to do? What if he comes towards my kids? What, what am I going to do? Again, you're still shopping, you're still moving around, but you always have this idea of what if. Again, looking out for social media, making sure that you're safe online, making sure your kids are safe. When you go to unfamiliar areas, make sure you know where you're going. Make sure you have enough gas in your tank. The CIA would always teach a half a tank is an empty tank, meaning don't let it go below a half a tank because then you're no longer in charge of when you fill up, right? The empty tank's in charge of when you fill up. But if you always keep a quarter tank and above, you're going to be fine. ATMs, uh, grocery stores. And again, there's a difference. Is it 10 in the morning or 10 at night? Maybe your security is a little bit different, your security posture, but just be aware and then don't be afraid to ask someone for help. If you truly feel a guy in the parking lot is creeping me out, go in and ask one of the baggers, go ask a security guard, go ask somebody to help. That's what they're there for. So that's what we're talking about is, again, if you're just even a little bit aware, you're going to be able to avoid any potential situation that comes your way. That's awesome. Okay. So Let's talk about how can we help. Is there a way we can donate to Underground Railroad? Tell us, you know, where we can learn more. Because I'm sure, I mean, I want to go study more and I want to show my kids more about all of this. Well, but thank you so much for that. Yes, yeah, so we uh, obviously... We would absolutely be so grateful for any donations anyone could send our way. Our website, ourrescue.org, ourrescue.org. We have our abolitionist club, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever you choose. You know, this is, you know, those drink coffee, Starbucks, right? Those who go to, I mean, this is nothing, $5 a month, 10 You join our abolitionist club, get a t-shirt, the water bottle, the whole thing. That helps us because we are getting over 40% of our worldwide operational budget from individual donors. So no amount is too small. That would be wonderful. Um, we obviously would use your prayers. We need to know where to go, where to, there are kids all over the world in the United States being exploited. Please pray that we'll have the discernment to know which law enforcement we should work with, which states we should be in, which countries we should be in, who can we trust. Also, share on social media. We talked about some of the ills of social media. One of the greatest things, you know, get online, talk about our organization, like us on Facebook, Instagram, friend us, but not just our organization. We're not one of these groups that says, no, no, only support us and not anyone else. Go pick your organization of choice because there are so many that fight this group, this, uh, this uh, crime. But if you like us, OURrescue.org. We are uh, modeling ourselves um, uh, uh, 
sort of along the lines of the great abolitionist uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. She used entertainment to raise awareness of a social ill of slavery back in the day. We do the same thing through movies and documentaries. Our, one of our latest documentaries is called Operation Toussaint, or Toussaint. T-O-U-S-S-A-I-N-T, Operation Tucson. You can see it on Amazon. It's free for Prime members. It's only a few bucks, I think, if you're not a member. You can go to the website, ourfilm.org, ourfilm.org. Hour and 20 minutes. It's cool. It's exciting. It's undercover. A little bit of the feel of Taken, Liam Neeson, but it's also educational. Um, so that's another way you can support. And then coming up this spring, March or April, there's going to be a feature film, Fox Pictures, The Sound of Freedom. So your listeners can research now, IMDB and others, you can Google The Sound of Freedom. And for those of you who ever saw The Passion of the Christ or The Count of Monte Cristo or Person of Interest, Jim Caviezel is playing the role of OUR founder, Tim Ballard. Mira oh Sorino plays Tim's wife. It is such a great, uplifting movie that, again, inspires educates and also entertains so just a lot of ways but again just so grateful to to you for what you're doing to get this word out and again I know it's a dark subject but uh, I hope you see that there is light and that we really are trying to treat this with light no I love it and you guys are the light and I'll have links to all of this in the show notes I'm really excited about that movie I love Jim Caviezel and Tim Ballard is so amazing too I saw him speak at a conference a few years back and have a couple of his books and I just I just think what you guys are doing is so incredible. And I'm just so grateful you were able to come on and talk to us about all of this today because you guys are busy. You have a lot of neat things that you're working on. (laughs) Well, thanks to you. Thanks to all the supporters uh, among your listening base. And hopefully we can sign some more up as well. And and we really do treat treat these dollars like sacred dollars. I mean, we're not flying first class. Any first class is because we fly over 100,000 miles a year, right? We're upgrading on our own. We're piling guys into hotel rooms. I mean, we are just really treating these dollars uh, with, the, with the sacredness they deserve because in the end, it's about saving God's precious children. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so if there's one thing that you'd like us to take away from all of this, what would that be? Just unfortunately that human trafficking is real, that this is modern day slavery, and that it really is perpetrated by men mostly and by the American male. So know that there are groups of American men out there who are trying to solve the problem. And so just know, just also remember whoever the, for men who are listening or the men in the lives of those who are listening, husbands, boyfriends, fathers, brothers, just educate them as well, because that's the way we're going to solve this for good, not rescuing and arresting our way out of it, which is important right now for the kids who are caught in hell, but that finally we have a societal change that men realize you don't purchase another human being. You don't buy another person. And so once we have this groundswell of men who stand up and say, no, not in my name, not in my gender, not in my city, not in my country, that's where it's going to end. And so that's, I think, how I would leave it. And again, just with a, a word of gratitude again, to you, to your listeners and supporters, and, and just a pledge again that we will do all we can to save these children and continue to grow this as much as we can. Well, thank you so much. And um, we'll be in touch for more. What about if we have any needs for more education? Is there somewhere else that like you go and see certain groups or you know, tell us how we can get more of that if there are some more people that are trying to pass this along? So actually at our website, OURrescue.org, you'll see some of our partners. We have a free signs of trafficking training. It's a, a, a several different three-minute 
four-minute modules, so you can watch them at your convenience. Tells you what to look for. Tells you about calling the anti-human trafficking hotline, which is easy to remember, 888-3737-888, how to get involved. And then if you're, if you know, again, if other listeners who want to support other groups, you can go and look at different, you know, reputable anti-human trafficking organizations and support that because again, this is a group effort here to fight this. Thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate you being on so much. Thank you, Hillary. Thanks to everything. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Isn't that so amazing? Love, love talking with Matt. He is such an incredible man. And I'm so honored to be able to talk about his organization with you guys today. I hope you guys will just share this with everybody you know. This is such an important, important job that they're doing to be able to go and rescue. Let's just get as many people rescued and saved as we can. And if you have people that are looking for a charity to donate to, please donate to this one. This one is legit. This is really, really amazing work that they're doing. Um, we'll have links in the show notes to everything that you could want with this. If you've loved this episode, make sure that you share this with a friend, of course, first of all. But also, we would love it if you would subscribe. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, give us a rating and review. That helps our ratings to go up and it helps us to acquire more wonderful podcast guests. So have a very, very Merry Christmas. 